Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. God, I just pray right now that you have your way. Lord, that you will get me out of the way, that you will speak through me to your people, speak through me to me. I pray that you'll help me to say no more, no less than what you would have me to say. I pray that you'll open every heart up to what you're going to tell us today in your word. Get us out of the way, God. Get preferences out of the way. Lord, you set us free. You set us free from our flesh. You set us free from condemnation. You set us free to be able to walk in a freedom that that we would never be able to know apart from you. So Lord, I pray that we will move forward in context of that, what you've done for us, and help us to grab a hold of your grace like never before. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I, uh, I'm super, super excited for a number of reasons. Number one, I woke up excited today. Have you guys ever woke up excited? I woke up excited. Um, Number two, I drank a lot of coffee. Um, I I love coffee. Number three, God's here. That should be number one. But with that said, God's amongst his people. He's here to meet with us. And he has something for us today. He has something for us today. This this message sparked from a conversation, and I was going to do a standalone message and a standalone message next week and then launch into a series in December that's going to build into a series in January. And let me tell you, you guys are not going to want to miss. You're not. Not that I'm anything special, not that I'm a great communicator, but I truly believe, and I, I normally never push our series I, ne- I normally don't do this. I do get excited about the series. I love, I love the book of James. I've loved every series. I love studying the Bible together. But this, this December, we're going to be launching into a series called Sweet Dreams. And we're going to be looking at the dreams that surrounded the Christmas story. And you're not going to want to miss it. You're going to want to bring, you're going to want to bring family members. You're going to want to tell people about it because God's going to speak to you in that series. He's going to resurrect things in that series that have long been dead, dreams that have long been dead. But the precursor for this series is, leave it to me. I was, I was talking to the staff about what I was going to do this Sunday and next Sunday, and they're like, that's a series. I'm like, no, it's not a series. That's just, just two messages that are linked together. They're like, no, that's called a series, Ryan. And um, so I'm going to speak to you today and the series that we're going to be dealing with this week and next week is God in a Box. God in a Box. And this, is a, this, this, this series, these messages are building in for what God's going to do in J- December and then those are going to build into what God's going to do in January next year. I'm telling you, there's going to be a build and anticipation if you let it. Everything that God does is almost always conditional upon our willingness to let him. Okay? Our willingness to let him. 
And you might say, God in a box. I don't even like that statement. You never put God in a box. We put God in a box all the time. We do. And this thought hit me, though, because Amy and I were, were talking to each other, and I threw this statement out. I said, I don't think we should think that way. I don't want to put God in a box. And the conversation that we had with each other is, i got to be honest, I hate it when people deal in absolutes with me. And what I mean by that is, maybe I'm just too optimistic. Maybe I'm that annoying optimistic. I might be, and that's okay with me. I'd rather be annoyingly optimistic than be a pessimist and a negative Nancy. All right? Um, But Amy and I were talking, and she goes, we just can't do that. It would be a disaster. I'm like, you don't know that. You don't know that it would be a disaster. You're assuming that will be a disaster. And that's what I'm talking about, absolutes. You, 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 You preconceive what it will be before you even do it. And when you deal in absolutes, it literally smushes the opportunity for faith to work. I don't see how this can turn around. Let's just stomp on the faith right there. I don't see how God can answer this. Stomp on that faith right there. That's called dealing in absolutes. The only absolute I want to deal with is that nothing is impossible for God. So we got to understand how big our God is in the context. And so whenever we say God in a box, we always think of it in context of don't put limits on God. Don't put limits on God. How many of you guys ever heard, don't put God in a box? Like, you, you, like that, that, what it's talking about is don't, don't put limits on God. And, and, and whenever we deal in absolutes, that's kind of what we're doing. Oh, I, no, no, that can't happen. That can't happen this way. And, and the context of our conversation is, I said, hey, we have a gift card. Let's go out to dinner tonight. And she goes, that would be a disaster. Our kids, it would just be a disaster. I'm like, you don't know how our kids will. I'm like, like so often we make decisions based on our experience and, and, and it never leaves room for variables. What if our kids are really good? They could be at a restaurant. I'm waiting for that to happen one day, but it could happen. But when we deal in absolutes, it's, it, it, it constantly projects what can't be. And nothing is impossible for God. I once heard a comedian say, man, nothing's impossible for God. I do nothing all the time. (laughs) You guys will get that here in a second. If you're a teenager, you're like, wow, I can do something God can't. (laughs) Nothing. Get get it? Get get it? Get it? Okay. But nothing is impossible for God. And today, I do, but this sparked this thought, this it sparked the thought of God in a box. Because there is a season in human history where God put himself in a box. And it was roughly 861 years God left himself in a box. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. And I want to look at why did God put himself in a box today? And I before we get into it, I, I have this really awesome box that doubles as a plane for my kids when they're here with me. Um, my son and daughter will sit in this box, and they will fly all over the world. 
And um, if you see right here, there is a, uh, a coffee straw that doubles as a propeller. And, um, but this is, this is their C-1 plane. I don't know if you guys knew that C-1 has a plane. We've chartered it this year. But this is a box. And let's talk about what a box is. A box has a floor, a box has a wall, walls, and a box has a ceiling. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound about right? Sometimes we leave God in, a, in, a, in an area that has a floor, walls, and a ceiling. And um, I'll get into that next week. But this is a box. This is the context of a box. And there was a point in human history that God chose, God chose to dwell within the confines. His presence, God himself, just his presence chose to inhabit a box. And we're going to look at that today, and I'm just going to set the tone for next week. We're going to talk about when God takes himself out of a box. With that said, we have no right to put God in a box. He's the only one that could ever put himself in a box, and he's the only one that could ever take himself out of a box. So if you're walking around dealing in absolutes in your life saying, this can't happen, that won't happen, I'll never be free, whatever, you're just putting God in a box, and you don't have a right to. And when God put himself in a box, he didn't do it to put limits on his people. He did it for other reasons for his people. But now that he's out of a box, oh man, let me tell you, there's no limits to what he can do. But today, we're looking at God in the box. And we're going to be looking in Exodus. We're going to look at three sections of scripture. And um, Exodus is one of those books that people don't often open up and read, but it's so rich. It's so rich in in God's faithfulness to his people. And the first section of scripture we're going to be looking at is Exodus 29, 42 through 46. And I want us to see this, the context of why. Why did God put himself in the box? And he's talking to Moses. He's telling Moses, hey, I'm going to set aside Aaron and his line, the Levites, to become priests. And then he gives them instructions on how to make themselves set apart and burnt offerings. But all that to be said, it was for a reason. He said, These burnt offerings are not to be made each are are to be made each day for, from generation to generation. Offer them in the Lord's presence at the tabernacle entrance. There I will meet with you and speak with you. I will meet the people of Israel there in the place made holy by my glorious presence. We need to, we need to remember that. Made holy by his, uh, his, we need to remember, made holy by his glorious presence. We're going to come back to that next week. Yes, I will consecrate the tabernacle. Consecrate, that's a big churchy word. That means set apart. I'm going I'm to set apart the tabernacle and the altar. And I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve as priest. Then I will live among the people of Israel and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord, their God. 
I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. So let's grab this real quick. I highlighted it on purpose. A font doesn't naturally do that. He brought them out of Egypt so that he could live among them. His game plan from the very beginning was to be among his people. I am the Lord, their God. We're going to jump. We're going to jump to Exodus chapter 37 real quick. We're going to read nine scriptures. These these scriptures, I, I don't have it highlighted. This is literally the box. This is the Ark of the Covenant. This is this is what how God chose to dwell among his people before Christ came. And he says, next, Bazil made the ark out of acacia wood, a sacred chest, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. You know, it wasn't all that big. It wasn't that big. It was obviously bigger than my kids. Uh, I'm going to speed the light airplane. I don't know. Uh, he overlaid it inside and outside with pure gold, and he ran a molding of gold all around it. He cast four gold rings and attached them to its four feet, two rings on each side. Then he made poles from acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He inserted the poles into the rings and the sides of the ark to carry it. Then he made the ark's cover, the place of atonement from pure gold. It was 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. He made two cherubim from hammered gold and placed them on the two ends of the atonement cover. He molded the cherubim on each side, on each end of the atonement cover, making it all one piece of gold. The cherubim faced each other and looked down on the atonement cover with their wings spread above it. They protected it. So it's kind of interesting that he, he chose a box, an empty thing to dwell in. And I, and I feel like there's something to be said about that, that God always want, likes to dwell when, in, in, in empty things. And if you're filled with yourself, if you're filled with the things of this world, if you're filled with opinions of other people, if you're filled with other stuff, it's really hard for God to dwell in you. God really likes to dwell where we come before him empty, and then he fills us up. And he chose a box. You know, he didn't say, hey, make a statue of me. There's no way. There, like, you, that, that, number one, that would be called idolatry. They end up worshiping the statue that God told them. He had them make angels, but what they were worshiping was the essence and the presence of God. They were still worshiping God, even though there was this ark, this box, that, that was his mercy seat, that was his atonement seat, that, that his presence dwelt in. And this box was a pretty special box. It wasn't just anything. And we're, we're going to see, I have one more section of scripture, and we need to look at it. Because this is what happened when God's presence is in Exodus 40, 34-38. It says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent 
that housed two rooms, a holy place and the most holy place. And the, the most holy place was seg- segregated, separated by the holy place with the, with the thick cloth. It was, it was a veil. And that's the most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant stayed. Unless the Lord told him to take it into battle and he went before them. And it says, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Like it said it three times there. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day. And at night, fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. Think about that. Have you ever seen a cloud like that? Fire glowed inside a cloud. This continued throughout all their journeys. So, God put himself in a box for roughly six, for, for roughly 861 years. And then he took himself out of the box. But I want to talk about why did God put himself in a box? Because we always say, don't put God in a box. And we shouldn't. But why did God do it to himself? And there, there are three thoughts I want to give you to answer this question. There's three thoughts I want to give you. The first thought I want to give you, why did God put himself in a box? The three whys of God's box. The first one is closeness. Closeness. It says in, in 45, he says, Then I will live among the people of Israel and be their God. And then he says, They will know that I am the Lord their God. I am the one who brought them out of Egypt so I could live among them. God wants to be close. If you are walking with God and you don't feel closeness to God, it's not because God is far away. It might be because you're calloused. It might be because you're not looking for him. But God, from day one, wanted to be close to his people. He wanted to have close proximity, not just a metaphorical thing. This is a literal thing where God said, put me, put the tabernacle in the center of the assembly of Israel. I want you to get this. Millions of people came out of Egypt. Over 2 million people came out of Egypt. And they camped. And God could have said, put me off to the side. I want to be admired from a distance. No. He said, right in the middle. That's where I want the tabernacle. I want you guys to take and make your lives around me. And I think there might be something to be said about that today. We should form our lives around God. We should form our thinking around God. We should form our speech around God. We should we, we should form every view that we can take about this world around God. How does God look at the world? How does God look at you? It's easy sometimes to see God's love on other people, but guess what? God loves you too. And, and, and the same grace that he gives to other people and the same grace that he gives to you, you should give to yourself. And God wants closeness to you. He's wanted closeness to to his people from the, from the very beginning, from the book of Genesis, he wanted closeness with them. That's why he created man. 
He wants closeness. He doesn't need it. He wants it. He wants a relationship with you. And when his, na- when, when his people became a great nation, he said, put me in the middle and I will dwell among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. I brought them out of Egypt so I can live among my people. Are we letting God live among us? Are we centering our life? Or is God central to our life? It, or, or, or is he a side thing? Is he just a category? Because how God chose to, to dwell amongst his people in the Old Testament was right smack in the middle of the assembly. Boom. That's where his presence dwelt. He wanted equal closeness to all his people. Closeness. And God's close today. I've been fired up about this thought. God's close. God's close right now. I would almost say he's practically tangible. And all we have to do is look. He's not hiding from you. He's not trying to play hide and seek with his people. He just wants you to look. He's right there. He's close at hand. But so often we look in all the wrong places. I feel like that's a song from the 80s. Looking for love in all the wrong places. But we look for God in all the wrong places. We look to people to fix us. You know, teenagers, don't look for your boyfriend, girlfriend to fix you. Only God can do that. They're they're not qualified because they're just as broken. Adults, don't look for your husband, wife to fix you. Only God can do that because they're just as broken. Husbands, wives, don't try to fix your wife or husband because you're just as broken. But God is right there in the middle of it all. And if we look to him, he can. He can fix those things that are wrong, that you're like, oh, there's something not right in me. God's like, just look to me. And I can tell you. And he wants to tell you. Or he might say, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Just walk with me. But God, why did he put himself in a box in the Old Testament? To be close to his people. To be close at hand. I will be their God and they will be my people. I brought them out of, what, what did he bring them out of? We say Egypt. And, and, and we, we say that all the time. He brought the people of Israel out of Egypt type of thing. But let's think about what he brought them out of. What was Egypt to the people of Israel? Egypt was slavery, literal slavery. They were enslaved. You know, the, the pyramids that still stand today? The nation of Israel built thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago. They were slaves. They were in bondage. They were terrorized. That, like, you, if you don't think they were terrorized, like, this wasn't like some cush slavery, if there ever is a cush slavery. But they, they, they were told... When God was trying to liberate them, they, they took away half the stuff that they needed to do their job, and then the workload doubled, and they said, 
hit the quota. That doesn't work. They're like, we can't do that. But it was harsh. Not only on top of that, not only that, there was a time when Moses was a baby that Israel was getting so populous that Pharaoh, the Egyptian, one of the Egyptian gods, he was a god to them. He said, let's kill all the male children of this generation. And he killed hundreds of thousands of children. That's what God brought them out of. He brought them out of slavery. He brought them out of bondage. And, and guess what? It doesn't just stop there. Some of us are slaves today. And God wants closeness to you so he can bring you out of something. Slavery looks a lot different today than it did just 200 years ago. We don't own other people today, but things own us. Believe it or not, if you can't lay it down, you don't own it. It owns you. If you can't put your phone down for five minutes, you don't own it. It owns you. There there are things that, but proximity to God will, will bring us out of. It might not happen overnight, but, but God wants to be close to us so he could bring us out of the land of Egypt, so he could dwell among his people. The second thought I want to leave you with is provision. The second why of God's box is provision. God dwelt among his people to provide for them. What do you have need of today? What do you need? Because God, God can provide. He promises. He promises. And, and when asked to, how to pray, his disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he says, when you pray, pray like this. But the scripture right before that, he literally says, your Father in heaven already knows everything you need before you even ask. And then he says, when you pray, pray like this. God already knows what you need because he loves to provide. And the scripture that we quote the most is in Philippians chapter 4. And I know my God will provide for all your needs according to his glorious riches. We quote that all the time as a mantra for provision. But if you read the context of that scripture, which is interesting, that we have, we're coming out of faith promise giving. But if you read the context of that scripture, Paul says, he says, Now, I don't need anything, but because you guys have faithfully supplied my needs, even though I don't need it, you still gave, I know my God will supply your needs. But it was always this, you're like, oh, that doesn't sound right. God's just supposed to supply our needs. He does. He does. He does. But the context of the scripture in Philippians comes on the cusp of a church being obedient and giving. And as we are obedient and giving, the Lord promises to provide for our needs. You can't, like there's that old saying, you can't outgive God. I believe that actually has better context in Philippians. When we're obedient to give what God tells us to give, he provides. He just does. And he, his provision has no bounds. As the nation of Israel walked in the wilderness, he provided. What did he provide? Let's just think about his provision for the nation of Israel. Just in the scriptures we read today, he was a cloud by day. Well, what did that provide? Uh, Ben and I were just talking about how, like we were comparing um, 
sunburn war stories of how the sun has declared war on our body at times. And the, guess what? The sun won, has won multiple times. There, on my honeymoon, I got so sunburned. I, I look more red than my um, brawny man shirt. And um, I, I'm telling you, like, I got so red that I had, to, I had to use an umbrella to shield my legs from the sun. It was, it was pathetic. And, but God provided shade because he cares. They're walking through the wilderness, a desert in northern Africa. And he provided shade. And if you guys have ever spent time in the wilderness, guess what? It's stupid hot in the day, and it gets dumb crazy cold at night. It doesn't make sense, but then God turned around and provided a fire by night. Not just to to keep them warm, but to illuminate. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. He provides shade during the day. He provides light at night that the whole assembly could see it. He, He led them that way. He led the children of Israel that way. He provided, not only on top of that, that, that's that's great. They didn't get sunburned and they stayed warm. What else did he provide? Well, he provided manna. They got hungry. They said, it'd be better if you would have left us in Israel. At least we had pots of meat. It was nasty meat. It was nasty food. They got hungry. And the Lord said, you know what? My people need something. And I'm going to provide. So he gave them something called manna. And manna literally means, what is it? Some of you husbands have probably ate some of that this week. Like, I, I have. I've never ate what is it from my wife. Oh, she's not in here. Yes, I have. This week, I'm telling you, Tuesday night, and I'm just joking. Um, but some of you guys can relate more to the burnt offering side of things. I'm so, Stop it, Ryan. Stop it. I gave my wife a burnt offering last night. I was cooking in the dark on the barbecue grill. I had my flashlight from my phone. I was like, I can't see. And so we ate burgers that, that doubled as briquettes. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I gave the burnt offering last night. But God provided his people needed food. And how do you, like, it's not just that, like, every day he gave the exact amount they needed. Like, if, 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 if a family of four, he provided the exact amount that family needed to survive that day. And so often, like, I want us to get how God's provision works. He put himself in a box so he could provide for his people. He lived in close proximity. I I will tell you this. The provision of God works best when you're in close proximity to him. Not because he provides more. It's because you can see it better. God's constantly providing for you and me. And so often we miss his provision because we're always looking for the next thing. But when we get close to God and have closeness and proximity and, and, and intimacy with God, then we can start seeing his provision popping off like firecrackers all over our life. When's the last time you, pray, you thank God for, for that old car that you're driving? Well, that's not provision. It hasn't broke down yet, has it? You know what I'm saying? When we get close to God, I can say that because I have a very old car that I'm like, thank you, God, that it hasn't broke down yet. Um, it's not even a Ford either. It's crazy. Um, gosh, I'm so, stop it, Ryan. 
I'm going to get my son a Ford radio control car for Christmas so we can, you know, work on it for the next year um, together, build relationship. Um, but closeness to God helps us to see his provision. And they saw the manna every morning. We always want God to provide a big thing, uh, always looking for the big stuff. But God says, no, keep coming back to me. Keep coming back to me. That's where your provision's at. Keep coming back to God. Keep that closeness to God. And then you'll see his provision at work. When's the last time you, you said, thank you, God, for providing me this job? Well, I don't like my job. You still got a job. There's millions of people. Over 20 million people right now don't have a job. And that's like the highest unemployment I think I've ever seen in our nation's history. And I mean, I'm not that old, but still... You have a job. But when we have closeness to God, it allows us to see his provision. He provided manna for them when they got hungry. He provided water for them when they, when they got thirsty. He made water come out of a rock. I don't, I don't know how hard you have to squeeze a rock to make water come out, but he made it happen. He made water come out of a rock because when God provides it doesn't always look logical. It doesn't always make sense. But his provision works. His provision is miraculous. It doesn't make sense how it works, but it works. So God put himself in a box so he could provide for his children. So he could provide for his nation, his people. He put himself in a box to be close he wanted closeness. He wanted to provide. He loves to provide for your needs. That's why Jesus tells us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. We say, God, give us this day our yearly salary. Type of thing. You know, like, think about the stuff. You're like, But no, that's not how Jesus told us to pray. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Because God will take care of you today. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Worry about today. And God promises to provide. God put himself in a box to provide for his people. And the, the last why, the last why that he did was guidance. I want to read just a few verses but there in Exodus, in, I think it's 40, 36, he said, Now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey to follow it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night the fire glowed inside the cloud, so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued through all their journeys. Like this wasn't like a one-time thing. This was 40 years of him leading them and guiding them. 40 years. During that time of guidance. Um, oh, another way he provided. Get this. This is amazing. Their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years while they were walking. That would be amazing. You ever get that awesome pair of shoes you get them broke down broke in and you're like oh man i love them and then they fall apart that's the, these boots i just keep waiting for them to fall apart i love these boots so much but at the same time I'm getting to where i don't want to wear them because i love them so much 
but theirs didn't wear out. And God guided them. He said, stay in place right here. This is where my provision's going to fall. I think there's something to be said about not getting ahead of God. If they would have left camp before the cloud moved, guess what? God says, I'm going to send the manna right here. Because it fell on the ground and they had to go out and gather it. But if they would have left camp and moved over here, the manna still be falling over there. Sometimes we try to get ahead of God in, in his guidance. We, we think we could call, oh God, I think I see what you're doing. God's like, really? Huh. God, I, I, think, I, think, I, could, I think I can do this to make this happen. God's like, well, how about you just let me make it happen and you just trust me. And you just move when I move. And you do what I tell you to do. And you say what I tell you to say. That, that, that would be great. Because the thing is, closeness to God leads to, to hearing God better. I don't know if you've noticed, but closeness directly pours into provision and guidance. When you're close to God, you can see his provision better, and you can see his guidance better. You can hear his guidance better. Like the Israelites, they literally had a cloud that moved. And they're like, oh, it's time to go. Let's pack up. Let's... Our man is going to be where that cloud is in the morning. They had a visual. But when we're close to God, we have that intimacy with God. We can still our hearts and listen. God, where do you want me? What do you want me? How do you want me? Just listen. Get out of our own minds. Get out of our own heads. And just listen. And you might just say, grow where you're planted. Grow where you're planted right now. Because God has something for you right here. And when he's ready to move you, he'll move you and you'll know it. You'll know it. It's not like God hides it from you. The Israelites saw the cloud move. And they're like, let's go. The cloud's moving. Our provision's going. Our guidance is moving. God moved. They didn't move until God moved. And so often we can get ahead of God. And it's really tempting to get ahead of God because we get anxious about stuff. Oh, God, I think this is... I think I can do... God, what if I did... And God's like, stop, don't, just be still, know that I'm God, I'm your God, and you'll be my people, and I'll guide you. So often we, we try to treat God like a dog that we have to pull, or my son, we have a leash for him, believe it or not. It's a child's leash, because he would run everywhere, and like, you have to like, no son, come on, come on, on, on we went hiking yesterday, and my son got ahead of me on the trail. I was like, son, stop, stop, don't run. Stop, because number one, he was running downhill. And I was like a mile from the car. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to carry. Like I ended up carrying him half the time anyways. But um, I didn't want to carry a screaming child versus a, uh, a content child. But he's running downhill. And then across the path, he got ahead of me. And there was a snake right across the path. It was yay long. It was a harmless snake. But guess what? 
When you step on a harmless snake, they still bite. They, they don't enjoy being stepped on. And the thing is, if, if he didn't get ahead of me, he wouldn't have stepped on that snake. He stepped on it. Luckily, the snake didn't turn around and bite him. The snake was like, oh, heat and the sun. He's like, I don't even care. Just step on my tail. Like, that was, it was the chillest snake ever. If you guys ever meet a snake, that's the one I want you to meet. It was just chill. Um, but I ended up picking up with the stick, and the kids were looking at it. But what I'm getting at is sometimes we can get ahead of God and put ourselves in danger. We could get ahead of God and put ourselves in a situation that we don't need to be. What if it was a copperhead? It wasn't a harmless green snake. What if it was something else? He, he, I put him down. I took him out of my pack, and I put him down for a split second. My son's like, peace! Like, just took off down the, down the trail. And he stepped on a snake. But that's what happens when we get ahead of God. We're, we're running into something that we can't see. God sees the end from the beginning. God knows your tomorrow. We don't even know. A man makes his plans, but the Lord orders his steps. Like, God knows. Why would we want to get ahead of our GPS and say, no, I know better? I did that the other day driving through Nashville, and it was awful. It was awful. The GPS told me to go one way, and I thought I knew better. Then I ended up in bumper-to-bumper traffic for 30 minutes, and that was, I know that's small, but the other way was quicker. I ended up stalling myself out because I didn't listen. God chose to put himself in a box for closeness to his people so he could provide for his people and so he could guide his people. And that still hasn't changed. He still wants closeness to you. But the cool thing is, you can get closer to him than the children of Israel could ever get close to him. You, he can provide for your needs better than they could ever have provision from God. Because at the end of the day, the, ba- the, the, the most basic need of the human existence is salvation from sin and death. And God didn't provide that for them, but he did for you. At the time, some 3,000 years ago, when God chose to put himself in a box, that was the best way for him to have closeness to his people. But the best way for God to have closeness to his people now was through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about how God took himself out of a box next week, and you guys already know. But where is his presence dwelling now? In us. What God chose to put in a box covered in gold, he now chooses to put in vessels made of dirt. We have this treasure in us. The Bible says the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. God can provide better guidance than they could ever experience. They had to go meet with God. They had to go walk into where God's presence literally dwelt 
There were a few exceptions in the Old Testament. Prophets would hear from God. Some priests would hear from God. But for the most part, when people wanted to hear from God, they had to go to the tabernacle or the temple. And then they had to go have someone advocate on their behalf to say, what does God want us to do? Kings would have to do that. Saul got the kingdom ripped away from him because he tried to advocate for himself before God. He didn't wait on the proper thing. But Jesus, being our advocate, advocated before God for us so now that we can go directly to the throne of grace. And we can hear guidance. We don't have to wait for God to speak from a mountain. He'll speak to us today. God hasn't changed He's constant, and he wants closeness to you. If you're feeling distant from God, God's not distant from you. He's not. He's right with you, but you might be looking in the wrong places. If you feel like God's not providing, he's providing, but you might be looking to the wrong sources. If you feel like God's not guiding, he's guiding, you might be looking in the wrong direction. God always, always, from the beginning of time, has tried and successfully has provided closeness provision and guidance and we need to get this in us coming out of a year that has tried to rock our understanding of what that looks like God you promised to provide but I lost my job or God you promised to guide but every end is a dead end and it doesn't make sense and God's like it does make sense you're just, you can only see up to where you're at. God's like, I, I see the full picture. I see the full picture. So what we're going to do today is, I, I just, I just feel like we just need to pray. And you can pray where you're at. You can find a place to pray. But I want to see a move of God. And I don't want us to put God in a box. I want us to understand why he put himself in the box. And next week you want to be here. Because we're going to talk about why God took himself out of the box. And we need to understand why God took himself out of the box. But we need to pray. Because some of us have been putting God back in a box. And how do we put God back in a box? We put God back in the box by dealing in absolutes, putting limits on who our God is. We put God back in a box by trying to live up to a standard that we can't live up to. When God was in the box, there was this thing called the law, and it was 613 laws that the Israelites had to follow in order to be righteous before God. And they still couldn't, you couldn't do it. There's not one person that's ever existed except Jesus that could ever do it. Not one. But Jesus stepped in and fulfilled that because he never broke any of the laws. 
But we put God in a box by saying, God, I'm going to try to look good before you. You can't. And you'll never will. You can't look good before God. That's why Jesus died, because he looked good before God. He was a sacrificial lamb that took away the sin of the world. You didn't. We put God in the box by, by trying to, to trying to kind of earn our righteousness, to earn our salvation, to say, me and Jesus did this. We put God in the box by saying, God, I don't see how you can move. And I think that we need to pray and say, God, where am I putting you in a box? Because we just discovered when God put himself in the box, it wasn't for any of that. He, God put himself in the box to, to blow the lid off the box. He put himself in the box to have closeness, to provide, to to guide. But where where are we? And I think going into December and talking about the dreams around the Christmas story and looking at that, there are people in here that have dreams, that God-given dreams, that you put God in a box and you're like, oh, that will never happen. Last week we heard a missionary say, I got called into ministry as a 16-year-old kid, and I'm 46 now. It was a long, dead dream that God resurrected. I'm not saying like, man, I'm 80. I don't want to go on to the mission field. I'm not saying that's going to happen. But what I am saying is we got to get God out of the box in our life. And look at why he put himself in the box and say, okay, God, I I get it. So let's just take some time today. Find a place to pray. In fact, you guys can put on the the prayer, prayer playlist. And let's pray. I know there are so many places in my life I've put God in a box. God, you're gonna grow your church this way. No. I don't want to put God in a box. I want God to do what God wants to do. It's going to blow my mind. God made water come out of a, a, a rock. God, God, God made a way through a Red Sea. They said that it was anywhere from 400 feet deep to 1,600 feet deep when the children of Israel walked across it. Then you know how high those walls were of water? The, the Bible said the, the Lord walled up the water on both sides of them as they walked through this. And they, they dropped down an elevation like a thousand feet and then they crawled out. And then, and then the Lord dropped that water on their enemies. And it's, you know that, that would have instantly exploded the lungs of the Israelites. Or not the Israelites, the Egyptians. Like, don't put God in a box. He makes highways through seas. He wants to provide, he wants to be close, and he wants to guide. And I think some of there, there's, there's not clarity in some of those areas in our life. God, where are you providing me from? I need your provision. Let's pray. God, how are you guiding me? Let's pray. God, are you close? He is. Let's pray. know that was seven minutes maybe eight minutes just praying it's interesting because
They say the average Christian prays less than two minutes a day. The average pastor prays less than five minutes a day. You know, we could get into a lot of stuff. But if we want to take God out of a box in our life, I think it does start with prayer. It starts with seeking Him. It starts with listening to Him. So we could see that He's close. So that we can see His provision. So that we can see His guidance. I do believe that. And I truly believe that just starting with a little bit of prayer, you're going to see the walls of the box that you have for God. Some of the boxes that we have for God. I don't know if I can cut this. Some of the boxes, uh, that was expensive. Um, strong box but as we take and start praying and we start saying God what do you want how do you want it's not about me if you think it's about you then you have a distorted view on this relationship with God And he's going to start tearing down these walls. He's going to start ripping them down. Because God's not in a box anymore. And he doesn't want us to ever put him in a box again. God wants to do more through his church than we could ever imagine. God wants to do more in your life than you could ever imagine. God wants to show himself faithful more than you can ever imagine. God wants to show himself gracious more than you could ever imagine. God wants to provide for you more than you could ever imagine. But we got to get him out of the box in our life. God took himself out of a box 2,000 years ago, never to be put back in one again. You don't have the authority, and you don't have the right. I don't either. And so, let's chew on this this week. Let's make it a priority to pray. Our nation needs prayer this week, this year, this coming year. We still don't know who our president's going to be. We don't know who some of the leadership of our nation is going to be. We need to pray. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for those around us. We need to pray and let God tear down the boxes that we've constructed in our life. And I wonder, just wonder, if we did that, what would happen? Maybe, just maybe, if we made it a priority to pray, we might see an outpouring of his spirit like the church hasn't seen. Because, can I be honest for a moment? I'm going to be anyway, so it's all right. Um, not that I've been dishonest this message. But I think we've put God in a box of how we think he's going to pour himself out. We think revival looks, looks a certain way. We think that 
we, <laughs> we think a move of God has to fit this mold. What if we took our expectations off and said, God, just use me? Right here, right now. It might, we might actually see that we're part of a move of God. It's just not fitting a mold that you like. And quite frankly, who cares if it doesn't fit our mold? I would rather be a part of what God wants to do than what I think it should be done like. So what if we just committed ourselves to pray and see a move of God like we've never seen before? I love you guys. Man, if you're here today and you need prayer, though, as, as we're leaving, I'm going to be up here. I'm, I, I hang out. I, I love to talk with you. I love to pray with you. Have a very blessed week. I love you guys.